Hey there, dog people of the internet. I'm Sarah Stremming, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I share my thoughts, experiences, and cases, as I interview experts and answer your questions when it comes to the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. It's a new year and I have a news flash. Black lives still matter. I'm looking forward in 2021 to not only continuing to donate to causes that I believe in, but also to providing more of a platform for BIPOC voices in the dog world here on Cog Dog Radio. So stay tuned. All right, I know you've been waiting for this topic. <laughs> um, at this time of recording, it is late January 2021, and I've had my new puppy, Rhea, for two weeks. Rhea is, was kind of a surprise for everybody. She also surprised me a little bit. It was not a long-term plan. And so I'm going to just talk about her and talk about some of the things we're working on and... Hopefully that will satisfy everybody who is wondering what the heck this new puppy is. Um, As you guys know, I've had Border Collies for the last 20 years of my life. I adore them. I think that they are the most talented and incredible animals that I have ever been around. And yet, I found myself in early 2020 considering a change, considering something else. A lot of reasons for that. One is that I was considering a small dog, considering something little. And I was also just, I don't know, ready to branch out, ready to try something else. I have a lot of friends who have more than one kind of dog. My partner Leslie has more than one kind of dog. She has an Australian Shepherd as well as her Border Collies. And I... I had always thought of myself, I guess, as a Border Collie person, but when I started thinking about small dogs, I just started thinking about, you know, what the other possibilities are. And I have been aware of Icelandic Sheepdogs as a breed for probably only like three or four years. And the reason I've been aware of them And the reason I considered them off and on for that entire time is because my friend Scotty Harvey breeds them. Uh, She lives here in Washington, and I first met her at Clicker Expo a few years ago, three or four years ago. And she had a dog with her, one of her Icelandics, that I really liked. And through getting to know her and getting to know her puppy rearing practices, I've just kind of been continuously impressed, but never took the necessary steps to acquire one of her dogs. It was just kind of in the back of my mind as I'd like to have one of those one day. And then through an unpredicted chain of events, there was a puppy, there was the opportunity for me to have one of her puppies from her latest litter out of her bitch whose name is Lotsi, who I think is amazing. I went and saw the puppies a few times and my puppy, Rhea, who I wound up um, wanting, was so clearly kind of choosing me, which Scotty and I talked about how that's ridiculous. And we talked about how People always think that's happening. They always think their puppy chooses them. 
But in reality, um, that's just not real. Everybody kind of makes it up. But Scotty remarked more than once that Rhea liked me better than Scotty, which doesn't make any sense because the puppies love Scotty. She's their kind of first mommy. <laughs> and, and she would seek me out when she had kind of a moment of feeling a little insecure and what kind of sealed the deal was that I let her meet Iggy. And Iggy, when I got Iggy, I, she was a feisty, fierce, awesome little border collie puppy who brought me a pine cone and threw it at my feet and was kind of like, what are we going to do? And I had already done, you know, structural evaluations on the Iggy's litter and had narrowed it down to her and her a couple of her litter mates. And so when she was the one that brought me the pine cone, it was kind of a done deal. And Rhea also brought me a pine cone after meeting Iggy. Probably not, probably a complete coincidence, probably uh, not even real, but it kind of tugged at my heart and I decided that Rhea should probably be mine. And very luckily, Scotty agreed. So Rhea's here. She's been here a couple weeks, like I said, and so far she's just as cute as she could be and as fun as she could be, and I'm having a great time with her. She is very much just a part of this family right out the gate. She wants to be right in everything, and that's true to the breed, so I've, so I've read and so I'm reading. Um, she's not going to be little, little, but when I was raising Junebug, who's a pug Boston mix that I raised, um, earlier in 2020 for a si my sister, I realized that a really little dog probably doesn't work in my house because I worry too much that the big dogs are going to run the little dog over. Rhea's not going to be that little. 20 to 25 pounds is pretty much expected. In reading about this breed, in reading about Icelandic sheepdogs, I've realized and I've come to think of them as what they are, which is the dog of the Vikings. They are around a thousand years old. They're considered to be potentially one of the oldest breeds of dogs, which I think is so cool and so interesting. And they have a really rich and interesting history in Iceland because they were almost wiped out um, by distemper and uh, some dedicated people kind of decided to preserve them. Being the dog of the Vikings and being a dog that lived in the rugged terrain of Iceland, they are adventurous and she fits right into my hiking already. And I'll talk about some of that training in a minute. She's fun. She's she wants to be with her people. Um, she also likes my other dogs. She likes to be with my other dogs too. Um, I think she's going to be a great size, not too tiny, really hardy. And of course, as a breed, um, they're a little bit loud. <laughs> so they are a breed that would defend the farm as well as the stock with their voice and would move the stock with their voice. So a little bit barky. But she's not barky when she's thinking. So she's not barky when she's training or working with me. She's just kind of one of those dogs that talks. Like she, if she's just having a feeling, it's going to come out a little bit as a little vocalization. And I don't find her to be 
kind of yappy or annoying. I do find her to be kind of cute with her vocalizations and hopefully that's how I feel about it in a year. <laughs> but basically all of my dogs bark and I don't like it any more than anybody else. But it's typically for a reason and if they're barking for a reason I can usually get behind it and, and be okay with it. So we're working on reinforcing quiet during really specific times. Um, if Leslie's dog starts barking, for instance, I have worked really hard on teaching my dogs to lie on a bed quietly when her dogs are barking, when I'm in my office. And Ray is learning that too. And she's already picking that up really fast. We are also working on crating. So my happy crating protocol is going really well. We're working on um, confinement in general. She hangs out in an X-Pen in my office during the day while I'm working. And I work really hard to enhance the enrichment um, in the X-Pen. So I change out what's in there every few days. And right now I'm looking at it. There's a snuffle mat. There's a bed. There's a couple of hanging toys that she can bite um, and pull on that are attached to the pen. There is a lick mat hanging. And it is hanging so that in order to lick it, she has to stand on a... A cloud, which is a uh, FitPaws uh, flexiness piece of equipment, so it's a, it's an inflatable basically, but it's safe for her to climb on. And she's got a bunch of toys, a bunch of bones, and she's laying in a little bed that I got her. And there's, I, I'm not sure if I said it, but there's a snuffle mat. There's always a snuffle mat. I will share some of that stuff over on Patreon, so that y'all can check out what what the enrichment items are that I'm giving to her. And I've also shared some of it on my new TikTok account, <laughs> which is at Sarah Strumming, if you're interested. So she is doing well with confinement as long as she her needs are kind of met. Right away, she slept all night in a crate really easily. So the crate's right by my bed and she sleeps for seven to eight hours straight reliably. Man, that is so nice. And that is a testament to um, a great breeder and the way that she was raised as a puppy before I had her. We are working on, of course, car crating is a big part of my dog's lives. They go a lot of places with me and she's already completely fine with that, happy with that. She rides in the crate, um, in the car quietly for as long as I need her to. Will <laughs> relax. I'm sorry, I'm laughing at her cute face right now. Um, she will relax in the X-Pen with really best if my other dogs are in the office too but we're working on little short absences all by herself so that she's okay with that as well. But I take a desensitization approach there. I do not take a flooding approach. I don't want to put her in isolation, have her have a panic attack about it, and then have her kind of get over it. That's not what I want. Some people go that route. That's okay. That's not the route that I go. We're also working on husbandry. So nails being cut, she's been brushed, um, her nails have been trimmed, and I just am doing a lot of body handling. She has, the breed has double rear dew claws on the back feet. So she literally has four extra toes from a normal dog. <laughs> so that's a, that's a whole paw if you're counting extra um, of toes to cut. So we're working hard on those nails. I am right now, as far as the Dremel goes, she's just listening to me Dremel my other dog's toenails. And she usually has something to do like a lick mat while that's happening. And 
when I see that she no longer kind of cocks her head and is interested in that sound, I'll take some next steps towards helping her with the Dremel. So, so far, we're just clipping the nails. And they're little, easy, clear, baby puppy nails, so they're not hard to cut. Um, I will put smear some food in a lick mat for her when I'm doing a, a lot of her husbandry. And then some of her husbandry comes with restraint when I can get Leslie's help. So I will restrain her and Leslie will cut her nails. And she's been perfectly fine with that as well, which is important to me that she can handle. We're doing a lot of play. She and I are playing a lot with toys. She does like to bite me. Um, <laughs> sometimes more than the toy. So our play typically does involve a toy so that she has something to bite rather than just me um, kind of playing with her. And she loves it. Like for my agility people, the tug drive on this puppy is big. She loves tugging. She also, she has a natural retrieve already. I throw the thing, she brings it right back. So I think toy skills are not going to be hard for us. Obviously working on food skills as well. Eating food from my hand, eating food from the ground. We, I haven't introduced her to a food robot yet, but I plan to in the next few days. And when she first got to me, she was a little bit mm, not sure about all the food. And she's now just as starving as all of my dogs always are. She has told me that her favorite non-perishable treat is Zeewee Peak and her favorite perishable is cheese. So she loves cheese and we have that in common. Um, <laughs> she, knowing that she has kind of a hierarchy of food desires already is great because that means that I can work on recalls. So I'm gonna go in depth on puppy recalls right now because I had a question on TikTok actually about how I can have a puppy off leash so young. So the first thing is, the first thing you should know is that she is going on my decompression walks with me with my adult dogs. Now she's not going on five, six, seven mile treks. She's going on like two to three mile walks. That still might seem really, really far to a lot of people, but you have to remember that I am under the guidance of um, Dr. Leslie Ide. She believes that puppies should be allowed to freely exercise. If she is tired, she can be picked up. And we actually got a backpack for her because we're planning on, we're planning a couple of longer hikes coming up and wanted her to be able to go, but wanted her to be able to go safely. So right now we're just working on being comfortable being in the backpack so that that's an option. As far as off-leash reliability and safety, in the very beginning, I am relying on the fact that she will follow my other dogs and my other dogs are trained. So I can recall whatever adult dog she has kind of attached herself to, or if she's not really attached to any of them, if I just call them all, she will see them all heading to me and she will come in. The first few times I had her out, she was only doing that. She was just following them and every time she showed up I would feed her and I actually was feeding her little tiny bits of steak or zeewee peak because she really could re would reliably eat those two things out in public and eat them joyfully and voraciously like really into those things as she should be <laughs> um after a couple of walks I started to notice that she was actually responding to some of my recall cues for my other dogs so she would rather than you know, hear the whistle, but then see my other dog moving and follow him, she'll hear the whistle and turn towards me. So 
The other thing that started to happen is she started to volunteer to approach me, which she did not do on the first couple of walks. She just kind of stuck with my other dogs. And I made sure that uh, she was on a leash anytime it might not be safe for her to just make her own choices. And, you know, for instance, when we were getting back to the car, I needed to make sure that there was no car avoidance and we didn't need to fight about getting in the car, etc. So she goes on a leash before we get there. So I started to notice voluntary check-ins after about two walks, maybe three. It can take that long, even with a brand new puppy who should want to check in with you. So if you're working on this with an adult dog, be patient. When I get the voluntary check-ins, I pay for all of those check-ins. I'm still gonna pay for those check-ins for a long time because I like to produce a dog that has a tight radius. I don't like big radius dogs. I like to walk with dogs that I don't need to call very often because I can always see them. So I like to produce that tight radius and I do so by doing a lot of payment for check-ins. But here's what, what I'm gonna start doing. I have started to add her actual recall cue, which is just her name said in a specific way. I'm not gonna say it right now because she's peacefully chewing a bone in her X-Pen and I don't wanna disturb her. Um, when I say that word in, in that specific way, she's then gonna get better food than what she's getting for the check-ins. And I'm starting to say the word when I believe she's already coming. So when I believe she's already headed for a check-in, I just go ahead and say that word. Anytime I have said that word, I produce the steak or the cheese. Whereas for the check-ins, she's getting kibble, zeewee peak, whatever perishable um, is in my vest. So, or I'm sorry, whatever non-perishable is in my, in my vest. So we, I start to do those two different kinds of things. So paying for check-ins and then paying really big when I actually called you. And then over the next, the course of the next few weeks, I'll start to call her um, during kind of more and more, I'll call her less and less, but in more and more kind of challenging situations. Never in a situation where I don't think she's actually gonna come, but um, I just, through this, I'm kind of saying, and can you do it this way? And can you do it here? Um, and, and can you do it if you're sniffing a stump? And then can you do it if you are, you know, about to roll in something <laughs> that I don't want you to roll in? And can you do it? Um, you know, if you see something coming up over the ridge. So, and then I, when I'm doing that, I'm just putting money in the bank. Okay, if you call them and they don't come, it's a wasted repetition. It's a throw out. And it's not actually going to ruin everything in the way that a lot of, you know, I think that there are other ways that we more typically ruin our recalls, which is detailed in the recalls episode. But as I go, I'm just, I want to put money in the bank. I want her to be successful. If she is not successful, it's a throwaway. So um, I will continue to work on that. And then of course she's learning the very important walk skills of get on a stump and pose, get on a rock and pose, um, <laughs> wait near the other dogs and pose for pictures. She's also, um, I'm facilitating running into people and dogs that I know out in the woods. So I am asking people to show up so that we can run into them and she can meet a dog that I know is dog appropriate or puppy appropriate and meet a person that I know is 
puppy appropriate and have a really good solid um, novel social interaction that way. I'm gonna go through the people I know and the dogs I think are safe really quickly. So I have some other thoughts about um, how I'm gonna approach that going forward because she is so small and I don't want, I, I the possibility that she could get hurt um, by another dog is higher than if she were a larger puppy, I think. Um, so I have some thoughts about that, but right now I'm just trying to curate the type of experience that I want her to have. And, you know, it looks organic to her. They're just kind of showing up down the trail the way that anybody else might. We're also practicing on see a dog and a person and go the other way. Um, you know, see a dog and a person appearing on the ridge and then I call everybody and we just kind of change direction and we head down the trail the other way and we eat food and it's not a big deal because that's also something that I do. So just really working hard on all of those trail behaviors, also working on grabbing her, you know, being able to get her collar, being able to put her leash on, pick her up just to eat food and then continue to walk rather than have it mean that the walk is over always um, or anything like that. And then, of course, the basics of, you know, front feet on a thing, back feet on a thing, down, sit, uh, stationing, nose targets. We're doing all of that fun stuff. And she's a very sharp, quick learning little puppy who is obviously intelligent, but also has had a really great start to life. Um, you know, already knew pretty much how to offer behaviors. Um concerning a clicker in a kind of shaping scenario. She's very, very savvy as far as using her self and her behaviors to get me to produce the reinforcement, which is really fun. So that's Rhea, my new Icelandic sheepdog puppy. Um, she is a ton of fun and I hope you all enjoy hearing about her and seeing her grow up. All right, and a few Patreon questions for you. This one comes from Brittany. Brittany asks, uh, puppy socialization question. I've been taking my now 13 week old puppy out to see and observe different people, among other things. For several weeks, she is showing actual fear from any person. She will run to the end of her leash if they look at or talk to her. I try to facilitate this, but I think she would bolt if she could. She is okay, she put okay in quotations, if people are just walking by and don't talk to her or pay any attention to her, she will just watch. But if they just say, oh, what a cute puppy, she's out. I know you've said to just let them observe, but at what point do you have a problem and you need to start to try to help them learn people aren't scary and how would you start that process? So spoiler alert for everybody, I just did a consultation for Brittany on this puppy because Puppies that are truly terrified like that, trying to run away from, trying to escape or avoid things that are a normal part of a puppy's environment, like humans, um, friendly humans who aren't trying to grab at them or anything weird, but just looking at them, or maybe other dogs, if the puppy was responding to other dogs this way, um, or anything else that will exist in the dog's environment for its life, you want to reach out for help. Because... Those extreme fearful behaviors are not what we would call normal developmental things. Fear periods exist for sure, but here's, here's how we know it's a fear period. It is um, acute. So it starts and stops. 
meaning it lasts a few days tops. Um, it is specifically the puppy is afraid of things that they saw last week that they weren't afraid of last week. So it's not necessarily just to do a novelty. And they're kind of sudden onset and they go away as fast as they arrive. So we know that that's not what's going on here. We know something else is going on. The puppy has, for whatever reason, decided that people are scary and to be avoided. And you need to dive in on that now. So Brittany's question here was, you said to just let them observe, but at what point do you have a problem and you need to start to try to help them learn people aren't scary? And how would you start that process? So I think I explained that if you even think you have a problem, like reach out, right? Ask somebody. And if your puppy is acting like this to do with anything that they need to accept and deal with for their life, you do have a problem. You want to reach out. You want to start working on it actively rather than just letting them observe like I uh, suggest with my look and learn protocol. And how do I start that process? I start by enhancing the puppy's kind of overall confidence and bravery. And then I would do those confidence building and bravery games where I layer in people. Do things that the puppy thinks are safe near, pe near enough to people that the people are clearly observable by the puppy, but the puppy's not worried about them. So, um, you can get enrolled in a puppy class that has plenty of space. It should be right now anyway, socially distant between you and the other person, the other people. And as long as the puppy is functioning, eating and doing behaviors near people, they're learning to be comfortable near people. So I would give the puppy a focus, something else to do around the people. And then I would do puzzle types of games, food puzzles, things like that, and then do those food puzzle things around people. You need to think about desensitization here, and I have a whole episode on that, I think. Um, <laughs> meaning you want to layer in the difficulty. If the puppy cannot do the puzzle, if the puppy cannot do the behaviors you're asking them to do, you have asked for too much, you have pushed too hard. And like I said, if this is something you're experiencing, you want to reach out for help. All right, next one is another puppy question. I didn't do that on purpose with the puppy episode, but I should have. Um, this one's from Alyssa who says, another puppy question. My now 18 week old puppy is very responsive to me and driven, but obsessed with my five-year-old border collie, particularly if he has a toy. While her recall is great in any other circumstance, she is all border collie staring eyes and focused on him if he has a toy. I can call her off him if I entice her with a toy, but that's all. Any advice on how to tackle this issue? I haven't seen him. I haven't seen it happening with my other dogs or with strange dogs we have just gone walking with. Just him. I've been working on platform work and having them take turns with getting the toy. Perhaps I just need to keep working on that. I'd love to hear your thoughts. So Alyssa, yes, you do want to keep working on the take turns. Um, and I would be actively avoiding situations where the puppy can practice the staring and stalking of your other dog because as Kim Brophy talked about in um, my interview with her that is a kind of self-fueling behavior pattern she she likes doing that she's a border collie so she's designed to like doing that and it feels good to her and it feels right to her and it's not going to go away if you keep letting it happen I would be actively working on not those things. So what I call anti-sticky-stocky bullshit <laughs> stuff near 
your other dog first without him having a toy and then maybe with him having a toy. So basically they would not be, if it, if it's, if it's happening, whether he has a toy or not, if they're kind of loose together, I wouldn't have them loose together. And this all comes down to how much does this matter to you? It matters a lot to me. So I will go to great lengths and I will go to great, um, hardship to make it not a thing in my dogs. And that hardship is often going to look like you're separated. You're not actually free to move about together. Right now I'm working with Rhea and my other dogs really, really hard on cultivating the kind of relationship that I want them to have. And what that means is they're not all free roaming together all the time. Um, she is free roaming with Iggy plenty because Iggy basically ignores her or will tell her if she's um, jumping on her too much or whatever. And, but if she and Felix are together, that is they have something else to do. Like they're on a walk um, together or we're walking around in the backyard and there's usually some kind of safety net and I usually have food and I'm asking her to do other things. Like I am actively cultivating the behaviors I want to be seeing. So that's what I want you to do with this puppy. Think, what do I want her to look like around him? And then how can I get her to look like that? And don't rely on your recall because if you have to recall her out of it, you already shot yourself in the foot because the behavior pattern already started. You can't let it start. Um, and that may mean that he needs to be on a downstay or, or on a station um, if she is kind of loose and out. It may mean that they're only together when they're doing the take turns um, kind of situation. So think about how important it is to you and how much of a hardship you'll go through to get there and um, put some of that stuff in action. Okay, Laura Dunn asks, weird question I know, <laughs> how do I deal with a dog who obsessively licks people? He will also mouth when really excited. It is like he can't control his behavior at all. He will lick the air if he can't get to someone to lick them. Love him dearly, but some people can't stand getting licked by a dog. Well, Laura, or Laura, it sounds like, I don't know for sure because I haven't seen this and I haven't seen a video of your dog, but it just kind of sounds like that's how your dog interacts with people. Um, you should teach him to do other things. Like he probably can't be allowed to freely interact if the people don't like licking. And, they, and he can freely interact if they do. So it's kind of like my dogs jump on people unless I ask them to do something else. I don't teach them default do not jump on people. Because all my friends are ridiculous and all my friends want my dogs all over them. And so it's hard. It would be hard for me to do and it doesn't matter to me that much. So I don't teach default don't jump on people. But I can teach them a sit stay by my side or a down stay by my side if they are not allowed to jump on the person that they are around, if that makes sense. So I would just kind of manage in that way by teaching an alternative behavior if the dog is around people that can't stand the licking. Okay, this one is, um, I think has a lot to do with the recall discussion in this episode. So this is where we will end. This is from Elise. She asks, would love to hear your thoughts on balancing recall work and decompression on a walk. That's the topic, more info if you want to make it a question. Um, so here's the info. My crew walks off leash in the forest two to three times every single day. That's fantastic. I work my recall with my young eight-month-old Border Collie separately and give check-in cookies, but I'm not finding it's led to the rock-solid recall I've come to expect my dogs to have. 
I feel maybe I did too much decompression and the value for me is a little lost. Her come this way cue is fantastic, but her come to my feet cue isn't nearly as strong. I'm now adding in toys and some walks to reinforce her and create more value for me. So Elise, I think I answered a lot of this in this last episode and I wouldn't expect an eight month old puppy to have a rock solid anything personally. Um, you probably wanna be calling this dog less. Like I wouldn't be actively working on it. I would be actively working on it in the sense that you're paying for all check-ins with that kind of low to medium value reinforcer. And then very, very rarely you actually recall. And when you do, there's something really good. And that something really good could be a toy if that's better for the dog. And that something really good can be food. But I build this over time and some of the dogs are naturally gonna be really into it and some of them are not. So Felix was an eye on the horizon type of puppy. When he was eight months old, um, he didn't really have a recall. And I expect my dogs to have decent recalls by eight months, which it sounds like that's what you expect too. Um, he was on a long line much longer than I wanted him to be um, because he wanted to chase other dogs. He thought fast running other dogs was pretty much the best thing ever. So I worked hard over a long time of paying him for checking in and paying him really big for coming and honestly not calling him much and if you go back and listen to the recalls episode i talk about why we overuse the cue and we ruin it people do it all the time and it's not you're not just ruining it if they're doing something really good and you call them away from it anytime you call them out of their walk you're calling them away from something really good and they don't like it. And so you're actually potentially punishing your recall, which is why the come to my feet cue isn't that great. So I hope that helps Elise and do check out the recall episode. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. And if you're interested in supporting this podcast, as well as joining the CogDog Radio community, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio and become a patron for as little as $4 a month. I hope to see you there. Cheers.